Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now this comes right off the heels, obviously, of Hebrews chapter number 11. And Hebrews chapter number 11 is the hall of faith. Now, these cloud of witnesses, obviously this is not uh, heavenly congregation looking down on a race. You'll, you'll realize it's not that when you look at Hebrews chapter number 11. It, it was the people of God that ran their race in the time that they were accountable to run their race, and some of them ran it in persecution. Some of them didn't have persecution. Uh, some of them uh, did well uh, in times of greatness, and some them, sometimes it was a, a time of persecution where the, the people of God were not doing well, but they were faithful to their race. And it goes right off that into the, heel, into the conversation of, okay, now you have a race, and you have witnesses that are watching your race. Um, and then, uh, then, then it goes further, which we won't have a great deal of time to get into that, but it goes further in that Jesus Christ had his race, and, uh, and we are to use him as our pattern. The way we run our race ought to be the way he ran his race, and he was the f- most faithful of the runners. And so, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that is set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's all I'll read. Um, and of course, e- even within this, tip, it's, it's, not a, it's not wrong to say this, but the truer text is we're looking at the way he ran his race, and then we're coming into our race and we're running it that way. We usually make the application that we're looking unto Jesus and we're running to Jesus. Well, that's, that's fine to say. That's not unscriptural at all. But the, to this particular text, it has more to do with we're going we're gonna to pattern our run after his run. We're going to pattern our race after his race. And ultimately, we are looking unto Jesus. And ultimately, we are running unto Jesus. So there's, nothing, there's no error in that. Um, but, uh, but it is the way in which we're running is the main context. So I'm just going to pull some practical needed points out of this um, and probably keep it rather simple. They, of course, ran their fa- race in faith. And uh, as we must run our, faith, our, run, in, uh, in, uh, our run in faith as well. Uh, the race is quite clear where it finishes, where it starts, how it's supposed to be run. And Jesus is the author, the finisher, meaning he's the completeness of the whole thing. I mean, he, he's the way we started and he's the manner by which we run now. Uh, we are not foolish like those foolish Galatians that they began in one faith and started and continued on in something different. Um, we are to run in faith as we were saved by faith. We run in faith uh, and we keep faith as the definer for everything that we do. But there was to this text that I want to use is and it's a continuance. If you are able to uh, catch the Wednesday night service here, we were not, we were. Uh, traveling up from the airport at the, that time, and so we listened to uh, your pastor uh, online, um, and I tried to listen to my own church service, but um, opted for yours um, because we were having some technical difficulties, and so uh, it was interesting because I was planning on preaching on besetting sins, and he preached on besetting sins, but I'll do a much, be- much better job than he did. Of course, you know that, um, but... Um, but yeah, I'm go- I, I want to take it uh, further um, since he laid that foundation. Um, by the way, if, if, if picking on him disturbs you in any way, shape, or form, I'm very sorry about that. Everybody's going, no, it doesn't bother us at all. <laughs> but he, he was, uh, he's been a great older brother uh, once we got out of the house. And, and, uh, but in the house, there is, there is one story after another that I can tell you of the horrendous abuse that man put me through. 
He deserves every ounce of ridicule that I can possibly dish out. Trust me, you'll feel good if, if you just gave me five minutes of your time. I could tell you about how he walked me back and forth and threw ice balls with all of his friends until I was knocked unconscious. I could t- tell you how he tied my hands with my feet behind my back and then suspended me from the ceiling and left. I could tell you endless stories about how he would uh, have me to be, uh, b- he would be blindfolded and then he would say, now I just want you to approach me and I can sense where you're at. And then I would come up and he'd just smack me. <laughs> I know he could see through that stupid blindfold. I know that he could. Uh, So I may pick on him from time to time, but he deserves it. Trust me, he deserves it. So that said, weights and sins is the topic. Weights, speaking of my brother, uh, when we are weighed down prominently, you know, with with some sort of uh, oversized perturbance, it it is a mass growth of some kind, a burden, a weight, it's cumbersome, you can't run very well. And so it is that first subject is the weights. Now, the weights aren't necessarily sins. They're just things that you've picked up along the way that are interfering with your ability to function in the run. And that's the way we are to sort of embrace our responsibility in our Christian, in our Christian experience is that it can't be cumbered about. Um, you know, when you're, when you're getting ready to run, you don't put your steel toe boots on to go run the race. I imagine there's rednecks will do that. Um, but, uh, but that's not going to, they're not going to be very quick. They're not going to be very effective in their run. You want those light, maybe Brooks, uh, shoes that will help you to be more effective in your run. So you sort of lay off the heavy gear. You don't get your car hearts out and you don't get, you know, your extra jackets out and all of those things. You're sort of getting very light because you want to effectively run your race. And so the first subject out of the gate, which isn't what I will spend time on, is the matter of weights. And that, that could be a lot of different things. And uh, that you just sort of, you, you know, hunting hobbies and things of this nature and can sometimes become a weight. It's, a, it's something that it's in my life and it's become something that is, I'm bringing it along with me and it's interfering constantly with my faithfulness with my ability to serve, and, uh, and so now all of a sudden it's become a weight. They're not sinful things. They are things that are stopping you from being effective in your Christian experience. But that's not the subject for this hour. I want to talk about the besetting sins, and it's insulting that they are easily, the Bible says easily besets it. That's just insulting. It's, it's just like I can easily handle you. Um, it's like when my brother, he's, uh, he's 27 years older than me. And, uh, and so my brother, uh, something like that, I don't remember exact years, but, uh, my brother, uh, when I, when I would go to fight him, the most insulting thing that he would do with me, cause we were in karate together, uh, is when he'd put his hand on my head, you know, and hold me back. And then I'd be swinging and kicking and doing everything that I could. That's insulting. That's what that is. That doesn't even make me feel like I, I'm a worthy foe. And that, when the Bible says it's, it's easily besetting you, it's just, it's just so simple. It just brushes you right out. Uh, it's insulting, isn't it? It's like I don't want to have a sin that just easily takes me right out. So I want to give you some principles that I think will help you on these besetting sins. Essentially, it takes you out of the race. Not all sin takes you out of the race. Keep in mind, sinning um, is, is not just something that you do. It's something that you are. You are a sinner. Sinning reveals the fact that you are a sinner. So you never go a day in your life where you went without sin. We, we, manage, we manage in our sin. We sort of deal with the subject in the matter of our sin 
on a daily level. There's never a day where you can say, I'm not a sinner today. You are a sinner. You are, you are riddled with it. It's, it's sort of the issue that you take everywhere. You're trying to manage righteousness and holiness, and you still are living in this flesh, which is still under the curse of sin. So you are always a sinner. You are a sinner, but not all sin besets you that takes you out of the race. There's sins that happened that you, you felt like, man, I probably should. I, I'm sure I shouldn't have done that. Lord, forgive me for saying that. Lord, forgive me for. But then there's the sin that just when it happens or when it occurs, it just takes you right out. I mean, you feel like I can't sing today. I, I don't want to be at church today. And I don't want to. I just I'm out. I'm just down um, and I'm and I'm out. That's a sinning. That's a habit. And habits have memory. And, uh, and recall. And so it's taking you out. Did you notice the besetting sin is easily doing it? Sin is a process. But the besetting sin easily takes you out. The process happens very quickly. So usually a guy is not going to step out on his marriage without the process of sin occurring for a long period of time. It started with a, with a neglect, a small neglect, a withdrawal. It started simple things, but the interlinking chain of sin led to ultimately the destruction of his marriage. And so when it comes to a besetting sin, it seems like there's no interlinking. It seems like it's immediate, spontaneous. It has its effectiveness just wham, just right away. We do recognize, even James 1, 13 through 16, speaks of the process of sin, that when it's finished, that alludes to the fact that there's a process that it occurred. When he's tempted, I'm temp- don't say you're tempted of God. Uh, the Bible says, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempt the end man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, beloved brethren. So how do we deal with these besetting sins? The first thing I would say is that you have to recognize they are mental victories. They are mental victories. Some of these things will be what what, uh, your pastor said on Wednesday, but they are mental victories. Um, The Bible says in Philippians 4, 7, and 8, peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. They'll keep your mind Focused on, and remember, to be effective in our race, our minds and our thoughts have to be uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus, patterning our lives after Jesus. And if we get our eyes off of Jesus, then we lose our functionality in our Christian life. And so we have a peace that passeth all understanding, and it will keep our minds on Christ. Finally, brethren, that, that, that's the context. Now, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true and whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. I've been amazed sometimes as I have pastured and I've, I've, I've had a couple that, uh, that have gone off into their, their sunset years and they've been tremendous saints of God. They've been effectively used of God and they've been absolutely unwavering in their faith. And then maybe the husband passes away. The example I'm thinking of, the husband passes away and the wife is left to herself to think. And I've been amazed at how I have watched some think themselves into an absolutely complete different person than I had known them. And then I've watched some that have gone on to further heights as they governed their minds and they said, these are the things in which we will think, upon which we will think. 
And so it's a matter of a mental victory if we're going to have the victory over our besetting sins and not fall into bitterness and not fall into wrath and not fall into anger and not fall into envy and not fall into lust and not fall into any of these besetting sins that, that so easily accomplish it. We have to recognize the battle starts right there in the mind. A kept mind is a kept body. As I said, the problem is our recall, the memory of sin. It is that, and, and, and it's always there. I mean, you, you know what you did, and you may have been years ago, and you know what happened, or you know what your propensity is, and it will come back if you leave your mind to an idle workshop. If you allow your mind to just go idle and shut down, and you don't function as a believer that is very determined to focus and think on these things, then you will default into your besetting sin. It's a mental victory. Not only that, here is the way we win our battles with our, with our besetting sins, is to recognize it's a mental victory. Therefore, establish your works. An established work is a way to keep your mind on the right things. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Committed work. It's a committed mind because it's a committed work, and therefore, my mind doesn't go into, into these random places that leads me into my besetting sin. I like what I uh, was reading a testimony of a young lady that had given her heart to Christ. It was multiple testimonies that were compiled. And as I was reading her testimony, uh, she, had a, she had a struggle with a drug addiction. And so what she would do is every Friday night she volunteered for the, to, the, to clean the entire church. And she would stay at the church and she would clean and clean and clean until finally she felt like she did not have the cravings that always took place on Friday nights. And when she finally felt like, okay, I've won the victory tonight, I can go home. She would clean that church every single Friday night. The pastor was almost discouraged when she finally had total victory because she stopped cleaning the church. You know, It was like, man, we were doing so good. I mean, but what a victory she had. But she had to put her mind to the task. And when we take our minds out of the task, our minds go idle, and our minds are rather prone to go to our besetting sin. Established works is established thoughts. When you, when you keep your mind on, this is what I'm doing for Christ, then I will have my mind and my thoughts established the same way. I, I remember a time when my father, my father didn't speak a lot growing up, didn't say a lot of things, but, there, but when he spoke, you sort of, it, it made a lasting memory, um, for multiple reasons, but we'll go to the one that one of the good reasons, you know, because if we were pouring concrete, there's a lot of lasting memories when concrete truck was coming. It was, it was my dad's just sort of buttons. And, uh, so you had to duck a few hammers and shovels along the way. But, but I remember as I was, uh, as we were traveling down the road, um, I was grumbling and griping and, and, and such, you know, I was like a a, a teenager and I was sort of your standard, typical teenager, um, unfortunately, and, uh, and I was griping about my, my life and so forth. And, um, and my father said something as we, were, as we were driving back. He sort of just interrupted me. He said, man, that trailer's making a lot of noise back there, isn't it? And, uh, and it was bouncing around and all this other stuff back there, bang, 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 boom, 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 boom. And I was like, yeah, it sure is. And, uh, and, I, and, and he said, he said, you know why? And he says, because it's empty. He says, it's kind of like you. <laughs> he's like, he says, you make a lot of noise because your life's so empty. You know, you don't do anything, you know, and, he, and he's like giving me a go of it. I was, I'd fallen into the typical teenager mode and I didn't have a lot of responsibility in my life. And he says, so it's easy to sort of be noisy because you don't have any responsibility. You know, 
I mean, may I carefully say that as a, as a pastor, I found those who are sort of weighed down with the work of the ministry, they don't make a lot of noise. A lot of times the noisy church members, the ones that sort of carry on about a bunch of nonsense, are generally the ones that aren't really committed to the work any longer. And they start, the racket starts to pick up. You see, when you establish your works, you will have an established thought and your mind will be on these things. It'll be, it'll be on the, on whatsoever things are of, of virtue and of good report. So it's a, it's a mental victory. It's an established work. I would also say this. And maybe, you know, the, I remember talking to, of course, I, I moved into an area to where, where there's a lot of older folks and, um, so I picked up a lot of experience. You know, when I pastored in Richmond, Indiana, we didn't really have, I think we had one senior in our church. And I had done, I had not done any funerals before I left, as far as any members of our church. When I moved to, uh, and I'd done, I'd done a ton of weddings. When I moved to Punta Gorda, that was really hard, wasn't it? <laughs> when, I, when I moved to Punta Gorda, say it silently as I say it aloud, <laughs> when I moved to Punta Gorda, uh, Florida, I had, uh, the first year of my being there, I did 13 funerals. And, I, and it was like five, six years before I did a wedding. So I pastored a lot of older folks. Um, I, I certainly did uh, have a lot of older folks. And I made some assumptions. And my assumptions were, older folks don't struggle with the same things a young man struggles with. And I remember talking to uh, a, a, an older gentleman and uh, in our church, and he said, you know, you keep saying that I know this isn't your guys' problem, and I know this isn't your guys' problem, but, um, but he said, I, I think you need to have a dose of reality here, son. And, and he started being very transparent with me to the place that I, I felt extremely awkward, and I, I wanted to just slither under the table, you know, because he was like, look, I'm still as fallen as you are, okay? And he said, and I have, uh, you know, the... The, the group of McDonald's buddies that I sit down with at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we were very transparent with each other, and we're still falling too. He said, so maybe you can just preach to help us out too, if you didn't mind. <laughs> and I was, hey, I get it. So, so I don't exclude the seniors from the young man's problems, you know. You see, there is an avoided lust that's necessary when it comes to winning, person, winning the besetting sin victories. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. It's very easy to criticize somebody else's lusts. You see how every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts. You know, when I was, um, I, we fish a lot in Punta Gorda, Florida, and, uh, and we'll go out and we'll go out for some big fish, you know. We'll go out um, for some uh, big ones. I, 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 I didn't get into it for a while because nobody would catch anything anytime I would go out, nothing. So I figured... Hey, I'm the Jonah of the ship, man. You're never going to get any blessings on this ship because it seems like every time somebody, they'll say the same thing. Man, I caught 60 fish yesterday, and I was really excited about bringing you to the same place, and there's nothing, you know. So I thought, this, it's me. It's me. Throw me overboard, and you're going to catch fish, you know. But um, I figured for sure. But, but now recently, the hand of God is back on my life, you know. And, uh, and guys are taking me out because they recognize that. So I'm going out, and I'm catching Big fish, big grouper and cobia and big, big fish, um, big 80-pound fish. And it's fun fights, and it's a, man, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, and there's, a, there's this expert fisherman, and I think he might be, I'm not positive, might be the reason why we're catching these fish. 
because he'll tell you, I'll go to, we'll be fishing grouper because we were fishing cobia. And when we were fishing cobia, you know, to cast your line and then you yank that pole back like this number and sink it hard. And he'd say, this is when we're fishing for cobia. Then we go over a different location and, uh, and he'd stop and he said, drop your, drop your rods, hold them on the end of the boat. And uh, let your, let your uh, sinker go all the way to the ground, and then two clicks up the bottom, that's it. And so then I felt this bite, and I yanked it like this. And man, that guy come unglued. I mean, he's, he's a hostile guy. Uh, he's, he's a captain. He said, he starts screaming and yelling at me. And I was like, what, what's your problem? I'm doing what you told me to do. He said, we're not fishing for cobia. We're fishing for grouper. And he says, grouper, they won't, they'll spit that hook right out of their mouth. You're not going to catch any grouper. You do that again. So then he's watching me. And I'm like, I'm like you know, with the little rod here. And, uh, and so I'm looking over at him. And, and so then he, I didn't feel anything. I felt absolutely nothing. And he says, reel up real slow. And so I start reeling up real slow. And then all of a sudden, whoa. I mean, it was like that rod went, you know. And his, this Goliath grouper is on the other end of this hook. Huge nasty looking grouper. I mean, best tasting fish ever. Worst looking thing. When they put that tongue out there, it is the nastiest looking thing. But, uh, but I'm real in that thing and I'm in the fight of my, and then we go to a different place and I try to do that. And then he'd yell at me about that. And he'd, and then he'd start telling me different. And then he'd say, okay, now we're, now we're fishing for, uh, what do they call that? Uh, 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 rod fishing or something like that. What do they call it? Where you're, I can't remember. But you're, you'd fish, and then, then he's saying, flick it. Every two turns, flick it. Every two turns, flick it. And then I'm flicking. And then, he's, then we go to someplace else, and he'd say, stop flicking. You know, just reel. And I think, man, make up your mind. You see, but the captain knew what he was trying to catch. It's just the way the devil works. And we might criticize so-and-so and so-and-so and this person over there because, uh, man, they got reeled in so easy off the bottom. But, you know, there's some other technique. You see, the devil knows the lure. And he sort of flicks it out into your world, and he, he flicks. And for one over here, he just sort of keeps it steady in the right place. But every man is drawn away of his own lusts. So it is, it is the devil that is fully aware of exactly what works for you. He watched your eyes when you went by the billboard or he, he saw your manner when so-and-so said something and how you went spontaneously angry. And he saw your, he saw your besetting sin, so he knows the Lord. He knows, have somebody say this in front of him. Create that imaginary conversation in your world and it will, it will spiral him. He knows the Lord that works for you. And so it is very important that you and I are very awa- uh, aware of the lusts that we need to avoid. And every person's different. Every person's different. Some people need to avoid things that other people don't need to avoid. Some people should stay out of sports. You know, if the church ever starts up a softball league, it's not for you. You might be the best player, but you know, no, I can't do that because it just triggers me. I mean, when the umpire does that stupid thing, it just sends me into the stratosphere. We had a guy in our church that he used to, I'll have two illustrations this morning, and both of them are going to revolve around surfing. Um, and I, I don't surf, and I can't surf, can't stand up on a board, but I've got two surfing illustrations. I love my second surfing illustration. <laughs> He'll know all about that. And um, can't wait to get there. So, but the first illustration here is a gentleman in our church that surfed. He surfed very professionally. He was incredible. 
And, and, and man, this guy did great. He did really great. He, he got saved, and his wife got saved, and he started growing in, in his faith and walking in his faith. He started doing some great, spectacular things. And then his parents said, man, he's doing so good, we want to get him a nice gift for his birthday. We know how he loves surfing. And I told them, I said, I, I'm telling you, I know this is going to sound weird, but I'm telling you, don't get him a surfboard. That, that's going to bring back all his old life. And there's no sin in surfing that I know of. I can't do it, but there's no sin in it. I mean, you're on a board and you're on water. I mean, that's not sinful. But it, for me, I, I said, there's too much danger. I mean, this guy was wildly wild. <laughs> and I said, there's just, it's just not good for him. He got that surfboard, and I told him, I said, look, I know your parents bought that for you. I'm, I'm really going to plead with you. Just don't get back into that lifestyle. You're not strong enough uh, to really handle that. Just don't do that. And he said, oh, no, it's just surfing, man. I love to surf. And he says, you don't know. You don't, you don't know the, the sort of rush and the thrill. And he said, you, you just can't experience it. He went right back into the lifestyle, right back into the lifestyle. It was that the devil, for, for me, it was easy to see. It was just, the devil just knew, okay, how, to, how it worked for him, how it worked. And so he just re- reeled it like that. And it just, man, he bit. Boom, got him. And he went right back into very hard living, drugs, marriage, rocks, the whole nine yards. And, uh, and he, got, he got right again. Um, he did get back in and got right. But it was a long, hard, brutal road from where he was, fell into his besetting sin. Avoid the lusts. Establish your works. Understand it's a mental victory. But I want to take the conversation one step further. And that's really where I want to hang out for the next 10 minutes, and I'm done, right? Five till, done? Okay. Um, I didn't think it would take this long, but it is taking this long. Because it takes, I have to add you into this, and so it takes longer for me. Um, so uh, the conversation goes further. Thoughts cannot be eliminated. It's kind of like you can't, you can't tell, you, you can't sort of um, know who's going to ring the doorbell. They're thoughts like that. You can't know who's going to ring the doorbell, but you can know who you're going to open up the door to. But when you pull that curtain back and you, the doorbell got rung, and you pull that curtain back and you see who it is, you, you know, I can't let that into my life. I know what it does to me. But a thought is so powerful, isn't it? Just one thought can just, bam, take you right down. Maybe it takes you right back to an abusive father. Maybe it takes you right back to the fact that you know what he he stepped out on your marriage. Uh, maybe it takes you right back to some conversation that took place that really wounded you. And as soon as it happens, it just it emotionally affects you. So thoughts cannot be eliminated. They have to be caught and subjected. Second Corinthians says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, pulling down a stronghold, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That is, if I've got to bring it, it, it made it its way in. If I've got to take it down, if I've got to wrestle it down and bring it before the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, this right or wrong, it needs to go. It made its way in. That's the way thoughts work. That's why Philippians 4.8 is so adamant about you have to think on these things. Because if you don't, you'll think on those things. But one thought can be so devastating to us because it hits us like a wave. Remember? Yeah. So my brother and I 
went to California together. It, it, it was him uh, taking me to California. And by the way, very vital, very important, very, very good for me to have been with my brother at this conference that we went to. And we got what we needed from the conference. I mean, it was transforming, watershed event in my life. I'm so thankful that he took me there. With that out of the way, now let me say what I want to say. Um, so we had enough of the good stuff, and, uh, and we were pretty full. Well, my brother gets the idea says, let's go surfing. And I, I don't know, he, I don't think he could surf either, but we just had this weird sort of midlife crisis feeling at the same time, let's go surfing. So we've got these gigantic boards, and uh, we rent them, we rent the wetsuits, we, and we head to the beach. And when we go to the beach, we sort of, we're running down the beach, we're all grossly overweight at this time, not, and, uh, and, and while we're running down the beach with our big gigantic boards, you know, you just, you, it's just not attractive at all. We shouldn't be there. It's not right. Um, it, I mean, I think people were actually leaving the beach when they saw us. Uh, there was four of us at the time, I believe. And, and so my brother sort of starts leading the V, the run, as we're making our way to the water. He's so excited. He's like a, like a kid in a candy store, just, just sort of really excited about what's going to happen. And he's ahead of me by quite, quite a ways. And, uh, and so this board is so big. And when he's getting out there, he looks over his shoulder at me. And he's got that big smile, you know, that my brother can have. It's just ear to ear. It's just pearly whites are out there. And he's just so happy as he looks over his shoulder. And w- when he looks over his shoulder, I look beyond his shoulder. And I'm seeing this wall of white foam heading his way. And, and I'm thinking, whoa, that's a big wave. And when it's heading his way, it comes to him, and, and he turns back around, and you can see, like, his head just snap back, and then he still, I mean, I could, it's so there. He looks back at me, the smile's gone, and his eyes are like this, like, he's, he's got this look like, tell me what to do. I, I don't know what to do. And then he turns back around, and what do you think he does? He does the most intelligent thing imaginable. He takes the board, and he puts it in front of him, to protect him from this devastating wave that's about to hit him. And when he stands there and the wave is coming, it just smacks that board. And I just watch his head just whop way back. I mean, I'm sure his facial expression was on the other side of the board. And bam, it just whop. And then he's gone. And it hit, the wave hit me too. And I'm, I'm sort of staggering around a little bit, but it had died down a bit when it got to me. But I'm hysterical underwater. I mean, I can't even, I mean, I'm just laughing hysterically and, and all of that because I'm, well, I mean, I'm worried, sick about my brother, concerned terribly so, and I, I, I'm I get my bearings and I start looking around. I don't see him anywhere, anywhere at all. And then you know how these surfboards are like tied to your ankle? It was just like the Jaws movie where, you know, you see the, the tube come up. Well, you saw the surfboard just bop up on top of the water, but my brother's not there. And then, then you see him get up and he's got this look and it's totally, I mean, he's totally out. I mean, he's delirious and he doesn't grab his board. He just drags his board, dra- like, like, you know, some sort of zombie apocalypse. I mean, he's just dragging his board and he gets up on the beach and he sits there, rented a board, rented a wetsuit, paid for everything. But the rest of the entire day, he sat beside his board. You remember, I, we talked you into, hey, let's do this again. 
And he's like, oh, all right, let's do it. And he grabs his board, and he runs to the water. As soon as his foot hit the water, he stopped. He said, no, 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 I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And he pulled his board, sat down, and he sat on his board the rest of the day. I mean, we were teasing because he was like, my name is Alter Eppard. My name is Alter Eppard. I mean, he was out of it. I mean, he was just delirious. With, but he was, if, if I could use a Bible term, he was beset. He was taken out of the experience. We had a lot of fun. We enjoyed the rest of the day. In fact, I think it was more fun. Because uh, every now and again, when, we, when things got boring, we'd look up at my brother and we'd just laugh all over again. It was, he was out. He was beset. And, he, and as soon as his foot would hit that water, he, it would all come back to him and he'd be out all over again. I mean, he'd go back and he'd sit. I look at that wave, I use that wave as an example about the emotional anxiety that hits us like a wave. It just tears right through you. The Bible is so very clear that we need to cast your care upon the Lord, for he careth for you. And it goes right to the next verse that says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Anxieties are real. Fears are real. Care is real. So that thought that you didn't anticipate having just walloped you. I mean, you didn't anticipate thinking on that, but it was a smell. It was a scent. It was a ver- verbiage. It was somebody It was somebody you saw. It was a conversation. And just like that, it's like, bam. You got hit by all that emotion. It ripped right through you. And now in just one sniff or one Uh, sound or one experience, you went right to the beach. I mean, you're out. You're beset. It's very real. Emotional stress is very, very real. It's a wave of anxiety, and it comes by a simple thought, a flood of emotion, an idle thought. A besetting sin. Here's the besetting sin is not the thought. A besetting sin is not the wave. The besetting sin is where you turn to for comfort when that emotion hits you. The besetting sin is where you run to for your source of comfort. Besetting sin is the sin of comfort other than Christ. And that is all over the map. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's your isolation. Maybe it's a sin of some lustful addiction. But it's giving you some kind of comfort that's supposed to come from the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all of those different things. The Bible is very clear how important comfort is to the believer. Very, very clear. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to be a people of comfort because we've been so comforted, we comfort others, 2 Corinthians 1 down through 7. The Spirit of God is obviously a comfort to us. The Bible says they had, and then had the churches rest throughout Judea and Samaria and walking in the fear of the Lord in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Scripture is an obvious comfort for the believer. The Bible tells us that whatsoever things are written aforetime or written for your learning, that we through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. Preaching is a comfort, but he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. It is very vital that we recognize we have to have the right comfort or we'll turn to our besetting sin for comfort. We'll turn to the introverted nature of who we are or we'll turn to the, uh, the lustful appetite of who we are or we'll turn to the angry person because we get some comfort out of, of a rage. 
God's people are supposed to be comforted because if we're not comforted, we'll turn to a besetting sin to get it. God's people are to be comforting one another. If there's anything that has so hurt the church during this time is that when we, we are behind these masks, we are not comforting one another as effectively as we did pre-COVID days. That's tough, but it's a reality. It may be a reality that we have to deal with for a while, but it's hurting the church because the church now, where comfort would come from the pulpit, it still comes, but where the comfort comes from pew to pew, a lot of times it's not happening because we're retreating and running and going, and consequently the church has a lot more anxieties and you have a lot more people turn to their besetting sins. We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. That's the people of God have an instruction to be comforting. There's multiple verses we could go to for that. For time, we won't. You know, I'll give you an illustration, and then I'll just be done. I was, I, I, I was talking to a gentleman before the service. We, we talked about uh, weight loss. I had lost 60-plus pounds at one point in time. And, uh, but in the process, I learned some things about me. So I was sitting in my office, and a church member was upset with me. I didn't realize it, but they called me, and they had said, we're leaving the church, and here's why. And I thought, man, that stinks. And so I said, well, can we meet? No, we don't need to meet. It's okay. This is it. I'm done. We're out. And uh, I had other people in my office and other things that were going on, but I just I hung the phone up, and I immediately, without even thinking, I immediately picked the phone up, and I went to call my wife. And when I went to call my wife, now I had lost 60-something pounds. I'd sort of got my disciplines about me. With my, but I went to call my wife, and what I was going to do is I want to go to an expensive restaurant, and I want to overeat. And, and when I did that, I recognized food is my source of comfort. Spending is my source of comfort. And I hung the phone up. I kicked everybody out of my office, and I turned to the Lord, and I said, I never saw this before. I mean, it certainly, it had led, of course, to my, you know, physique. Not everybody that you see with the physique has a besetting sin, but it was for me. It had led me to this place to where I had turned to comfort outside of Christ and I had picked up a besetting sin. And my besetting sin was where I was turning to when my anxieties started to get the best of me. And I, I know that sounds silly, but sort remember, the Lord knew or the devil knew for me. I didn't, but I learned that day. And I recognized, dear God, I confess my sin of gluttony to you. I've been turning to food for something more than what it has to offer. And I've been turning away from Christ. And it's so very important. There's so much more we could say, but there is so very important that we turn to the right place. The Bible gives us a way of escape every single temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I can guarantee you this, it's always going to be into Christ. The escape route is into finding your comfort in Christ and not your abuse of some sort of sinful old habit. It's a besetting sin.